This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Thursday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate you spending a few minutes with us this morning. We work our way around everything that went on last night in the world of sports, although it was a fairly quiet night. Uh, The Celtics did play last night, uh, uh, but uh, it was – this is a tough time of year for me. Uh, Missing baseball, we're – less than a month away, hopefully, from the start of spring training. And as we talked about yesterday, the state of Arizona, or not just the state, but uh, uh, some of the governors in the towns where spring training takes place in Arizona has asked Major League Baseball to postpone the start of spring training. And uh, yet, at the same time, Florida is full steam ahead. So I don't know where we're headed with that, so we'll see. But theoretically... Pitchers and catchers should report uh, in three weeks. So we're getting close, and it's getting exciting, and I can't wait. Uh, so, uh, But, you know, we'll see. Uh, by the way, if you own an uh, iPhone or an iPad, and uh, I'm not an iPhone guy. I do have an iPad. But uh, just a heads up, Apple is recommending to everyone that they upgrade their software, their operating system immediately. Uh, There is some kind of security flaw. They weren't specific about what it was, but they said that uh, uh, it is being actively exploited by hackers, and it was pointed out to them uh, by somebody from the outside. And so they have sent a new software patch to everybody that has uh, an iPhone or an iPad. And it goes all the way back, by the way, to the iPhone 6. So even if you have an older iPhone, update your operating system uh, if you don't want to get hacked, and it's the whole the whole hacking thing's gotten out of out of hand. Um, I was just my my mom got hacked the other day. Her bank account, somebody got a hold of her debit card. We talked that happened to me right around Christmas time. It seems it's happening more and more to people. There are just so many scumbags out there. You know the the people that are preying on folks that are going through the whole COVID thing and trying to capitalize on the coronavirus and try to find ways to scam money out of people during the coronavirus and, you know, over testing and vaccinations. And it's just unbelievable. People suck. They really do. Um, So here in the state of Connecticut, the men's basketball schedule at UConn has been paused yet again for the third time this season through no fault of their own. Uh, They were supposed to play Villanova tonight. That game has been postponed, as has their Sunday game at St. John's. Why? Because one of the referees from their game on Tuesday when they played Butler at Gamble Pavilion has tested positive for the coronavirus. So because one of the referees tested positive, 
they have to quarantine. They until they're sure there are no positive tests on their team, and Butler's going to have to do the same thing. Everybody's got to put the brakes on. It misses just gotten crazy. Uh, they'll still be able to do some practicing uh, until it's determined whether there's cases within the program. God forbid, if one of these guys comes up positive, UConn could have two weeks out again, and they're in a position now. It's you know there's not a lot of time left in this season. Uh, they already had the break between November 5th and 19th, and then again from December 6th to December 20th. They've essentially lost a month of play because of contact tracing or positive tests. So they've played 11 games so far. So they have to play at least two more to get to the 13-game minimum to qualify for the NCAA tournament. They still have nine games left on their schedule with three more that need makeup dates that were postponed by, you know, conference games that were postponed. Uh, Xavier, now Villanova, and St. John's. There's no, there's no guarantee they're going to be able to do that because the Big East tournament is supposed to start the first week of March. And there's not a lot of open dates between now and then, and everybody's going to be scrambling. Now, is UConn going to be able to play two more games between now and the beginning of March to, to get in the tournament? Yes. But, you know, they could be, you know, if they have to shut down, if, God forbid, one of their players comes up positive and they're shut down, that means they wouldn't be able to start playing again until, like, February 10th. And that would essentially give them... Two weeks, two and a half weeks before the start of the Big East tournament. So, I mean, it's just, it's nuts. It really is, you know, and, and uh, uh, Boston University facing the same thing. They are shutting down both their basketball programs and their hockey programs for at least the next week as they try to uh, uh, get a handle on things there. They were supposed to play uh, – uh, the hockey teams were supposed to play Boston College this weekend, so that is not going to happen. Um, but they just felt that the spread of the virus within their teams and their department is kind of getting out of control, so they want to try to – they're not doing this because they've been told to. They're doing this be, to try to be proactive. Not a bad idea. So uh, BU is shut down at least uh, probably for a week. And, you know, it's we've seen teams that have already canceled seasons. And, and, you know, I don't think we've seen the last of this. Now, as of right now, the women's basketball team is scheduled to play against number 19 Arkansas tonight. This should be a fascinating game. I, I'm worried about UConn in this game tonight. You know, and they, now they haven't played Arkansas since 1998, so – you know, there's nothing you can't go on any kind of history um, with these two teams. But what worries me about this team tonight is Arkansas is loves to shoot the basketball. They have a very high-powered offense. They're averaging over 85 points a game. That is the fifth best in the country. Um, UConn is a pretty good defensive team, but. South Carolina is a very good defensive team, and South Carolina allowed this Arkansas team to score 82 points against him. So, you know, so you go, okay, well, then UConn's just going to have to outscore him. Here's the problem. This UConn team has shown that it is not a very good shooting team. If they have to rely on their outside game tonight to win this game, they are in big, big trouble. 
you know, unless they can find a way to put the screws to this Arkansas team and hold them, I really believe to win this game tonight, UConn's going to have to hold them under 70 points. You know, I, and I look, they and they could very well do that. You know, they're a good team. They like to guard on the perimeter. They're pretty good at that. And UConn will have a size advantage. There is only one player on the Arkansas roster who's over 6'2". They like to play four guards. Uh, so, you know, UConn's going to, should be able to do some pretty good work in the paint. They should be able to limit second-chance opportunities, and frankly, they need to shut Arkansas out on second-chance opportunities. They like to get a shot off, Arkansas does, within the first 9 or 10 seconds of the shot clock. That being the case, if you're UConn, you've got to make sure you're boxing out and you don't give them second chances. Because, if you know, UConn, you're not going to expect UConn to go out tonight and shoot 50% from the field. They just don't do that. That's just not them. You know, they do. They can do that against really bad teams because they're getting steals and layups all night. So uh, this is going to be an interesting test. The game is at 6 o'clock. It's an early one. So uh, uh, I'll be able to watch that while I'm having dinner. My wife will be thrilled about that, by the way. Uh, but uh, it, it should be an interesting game. UConn undefeated. And can they keep that rolling? They're currently number three in the country. You know, and you look, well, number three against number 19, you know, should be an easy game. It's not going to be. This is going to be, and it's on the road, which makes it even more interesting. And we don't know if their fantastic freshman Paige Beckers is going to be able to play or not. Uh, She rolled that ankle a couple of games ago, sat out the last game against Georgetown, but, you know, they didn't need her. Uh, But they need her tonight. And no word yet as to whether she's going to be able to play. Gino Ariema hinted. A few days ago that he expected that she would, you know, chances were that she would play, uh, but there's no guarantee. So, you know, UConn, if, if they get her tonight, I'm going to feel a whole heck of a lot better about things. So we'll see. Um, one other note here in the state, uh, the Northeast Conference, which is uh, a Division One conference uh, with Central Connecticut, Sacred Heart, uh, Fairleigh Dickinson, uh, schools in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut primarily, uh, along with Bryant University and Rhode Island. Uh, is planning to have a spring football season since their season in the fall got wiped out because of the pandemic. They decided that they were going to play four games in the spring to have some kind of a season. Well, Central Connecticut has decided that they are not going to play. Um, Tom Pinson's their athletic director, has just said that uh, he thinks it's in the best interest of the university and the program to, uh, to not play. He said it wasn't an easy decision and that he knows the student-athletes and the fans are going to be disappointed, but he thinks it's just better to prepare for the fall of 2021, and they're going to have their regular spring practice and you know their spring game that they usually have and just plan on going forward with things. I don't think that's a bad idea. Um, we're, we've seen here in the state of Connecticut, of course, we didn't play high school football in the fall, and there was some talk about a spring football season. They've decided that's not going to happen either, uh, and I think that was more for safety purposes. And it might be the same at Central. You know, It's not even necessarily coronavirus-related. But if you think about it, if you have a spring season, and let's say you're playing till you know, you're playing in April, well, then you're going to turn around and bring these kids back in August to play, to start ramping up for the fall football season. Um, that's not enough time off. 
You know, so I think that that was I think that's the primary reason for the decision. And I, I don't disagree with it. I think it's a, a really, really good decision. Um, this was a very disturbing story I saw last night. I, I'm sure everybody has seen this by now, but uh, Chad Wheeler. Offensive lineman for the Seattle Seahawks, now a former offensive lineman for the Seattle Seahawks, by the way, uh, was charged with first degree domestic violence. Yesterday, uh, he was arrested over the weekend for attacking his girlfriend. And this is, I mean, I read this and I, honest to God, I, <laughs> um, supposedly what he did was he demanded that his girlfriend stand up and bow down to him. I'm not kidding. That's that. That's what the allegations are. So she said, no, I'm not going to do that. So when she refused, he picked her up, threw her on the bed, started to choke her, and tried to smother her with a pillow, and did it to the point where she passed out. You know, she tried to fight back, and he grabbed her arm, twisted it, and she lost consciousness. She doesn't know for how long. When she regained consciousness, she told the police that he said, wow, you're still alive? And at that point, she jumped up, ran into the bathroom, locked herself in there, and called her family in 911. The cops had to break the door down. They tasered this guy. She had a, a fractured humerus, a dislocated elbow in her left arm bruises all over her neck in the shape of, you know, fingers. I mean, are you kidding me? And then, you know, so then later, last night, I'm watching the news, and they have the attorney on for this guy. And he said, well, uh, he's off his medication. I guess he's bipolar or something, and he's off his medication. To the, so, As if that's supposed to, we're supposed to say, oh, oh, that's okay. I mean, honest to God, this guy's going to jail for a long, long time. Um, he was released on a $400,000 bond. Prosecutors uh, uh, asked the judge to require him to stay at home and wear an ankle monitoring bracelet. Uh, honest, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You know, and you wonder why there's a lot of people that don't like to watch the NFL. You know, we see all these you know, things like this going on, uh, you know, they've tried to clean up their image, but look, even if Chad Wheeler gets off somehow, you know, with a slap on the wrist or enters some kind of, uh, you know, treatment program and, you know, he doesn't have to go to jail. He's never playing in the NFL again, nor should he bow down to me. Uh, other NFL news yesterday on a on a better note, although this is also a strange note. The final head coaching position in the NFL has been filled as David Culley was hired as the head coach of the Houston Texans yesterday. Now, what's odd about this is this it, it's his first head coaching job, which is fine. He's 65 years old. Now, again, Speaking as an old fart myself, I'm all for old guys getting jobs. But if you are the Texans, you have taken 
months to find a new coach after you fired Bill O'Brien. And the best that you can come up with is a 65-year-old career assistant, a guy who's been an assistant for the Baltimore Ravens. And you have interviewed guys like Eric Bieniemy from the Kansas City Chiefs, somebody that is a superstar, somebody that I can't believe didn't get a job. You interviewed people that have head coaching uh, experience as well, guys like Marvin Lewis, Jim Caldwell, um, and you come up with David Culley? I, I don't get it. Uh, again, he look, Culley has been in the NFL for – 26 years, he's worked with Tampa and Pittsburgh and Philly. Uh, you know, he, he, he hasn't even been a college head coach. He was an assistant at Texas A&M before working in the NFL. This guy has not been a head coach in college or the pros, and at 65 he's going to get his first head coaching position on a team where your quarterback, Deshaun Watson, is looking to get out of town. I don't talk about a a franchise that's a little bit tone deaf. You would think, and by the way, Deshaun Watson had said he wanted some input into the GM hire and the coach hire, and was told that he was going to get that, and he never did, and he was pissed off about it. And now, you hire his grandfather as your head coach. Do you think? <laughs> And look, I don't know David Culley. I'm sure he's a great guy. This isn't the point. The point is is that you've got a young, dynamic quarterback, a guy who should be the future of your franchise. And you've got a dynamic assistant coach in Kansas City like Eric Bieniemy, and you come up with David Culley, a 65-year-old career. I mean, come on. The, Texas, the Texans just continue to find ways to shoot themselves in the foot. Uh, we're going to have Dan Zampano on tomorrow. I know there's no football this weekend because we have the bye week before the Super Bowl, which I, I, I always hate. But we're going to have uh, Dan Zampano on tomorrow, and we're going to talk to him about that and see what uh, he thinks. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be entertaining. Uh, the other football thing uh, I just wanted to bring up before we get to the break at the bottom of the hour uh, ben Volan in the Boston Globe had a story uh, a couple of days ago about Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Shocking, right? I mean, you know, Tom Brady, who spent his most of his career up here. And the headline in the Boston Globe was, Brady has raised the stakes on Belichick. And there is no question that Bill Belichick has been taking a beating in the last couple of weeks with the success that Tom Brady has had down in Tampa and the mess that was the New England Patriots season. And so basically Ben Volan's point here is that um, it's your turn. You know, and I, the, the, the first line in the story was, your move, Patriots. And basically what he's saying is, look, that they cannot, the Patriots and Bill Belichick cannot afford to repeat what happened in 2020. They have to figure this out and they have to do it quickly. You know, they can't afford 
to rebuild. And, you know, this was brought up, you know, Aaron Rodgers, after losing in the NFC Championship game, hinted that perhaps his time in Green Bay was over. So everybody's like, oh, maybe we can get him here. I, look, that's not going to happen. First of all, uh, Aaron Rodgers is under contract for three more years with the Packers. He's not going anywhere. The Packers are not going to trade Aaron Rodgers. They would have to be out of their minds. Uh, now, that doesn't mean there aren't other options out there. You know, maybe they find a way to move up in the draft and get themselves. And you're not getting Trevor Lawrence, but maybe you can get yourself one of those other great young quarterbacks and you go that route. But there are a couple of veteran quarterbacks that want a new home. I already mentioned one of them, and that's Deshaun Watson. Maybe they go out and get him. Or Matthew Stafford in Detroit. The Lions and Stafford have mutually agreed that the Lions are going to try to find a trade partner and move him somewhere else. So maybe that's where you go. You know, I, I don't know. Now, what makes that a little bit more tricky as far as Stafford goes is that Matt Patricia, his former coach in Detroit who got fired, there are rumors that he is coming back to be an assistant coach again with the Patriots. So whether Matthew Stafford would want to come back and deal with Matt Patricia again could be part of that story as well. And then another move that Volan floats, and I don't think this would happen. He said, well, how about trading for Jimmy Garoppolo, the guy who used to be Brady's heir apparent that you traded to the San Francisco 49ers? Well, why don't you go out and see if you can get him back? Because it seems like the 49ers are ready to move on. Um, I, I'm not a fan of that move. Just and I, it's not nothing, you know. Just Jimmy Garoppolo can't stay on the field. He can't stay healthy. So I'm not sure that's a good move. But we'll talk. We're going to talk to Dan about that tomorrow too. I mean, I, I don't know. I, look, from the time Tom Brady decided to leave the New England Patriots, there was talk of well, who was it really in charge there? Who was the one that really was in charge of the success in New England? Was it Belichick, the the coaching genius? Or was it the talent of Tom Brady that got all that success in New England? And people want to pit the two of them together as if it's some kind of competition. And I don't think there is an answer to that. I think I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's some combination of the two. I do. But, you know, since Brady has had that success, the pendulum has swung heavily in his favor in Tampa as now all of a sudden Belichick is a moron and Tom Brady is the reason the Patriots won. You know, I mean, it's just, that's just, again, you know, everybody with the knee jerk reaction, that's the way we, that things are in the two thousands. So, uh, so we'll talk to Dan about that coming up tomorrow as well. We're going to take a break. It's 28 minutes past here. When we come back, we've got a lot of baseball stuff to talk about, uh, a little bit more about the Kurt Schilling, Schilling fiasco after the Hall of Fame vote. We'll get to that when we come back. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 31 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Thursday morning. By the way, programming note, if uh, if you haven't had enough of me when this show is over in a half an hour, uh, at 10 o'clock or after the news at 10 o'clock, we're going to be running the Boys of Summer podcast and. That's a podcast uh, with my friends Paul Arnold and Eric Braun that uh, we do on a, a regular basis. And normally I'm just the, the, one of the guests. I'm, you know, Paul usually runs it, and I just kind of sit back and give my opinion. Uh, I hosted this one. So uh, we're going to run that coming up at uh, 10 o'clock this morning. So uh, uh, if you need some more of me in your life and 
God knows everybody does. We'll have that coming up after the news at 10 o'clock. Um, so, Kurt Schilling, after he did not get into the Hall of Fame, uh, went on a diatribe on Facebook. Uh, 1,200 words, by the way. A 1,200-word uh, post to Facebook after the election results and found out that he was still 16 votes short, basically saying, meh, screw you. I don't want to be on the ballot anymore. I'll wait until the Veterans Committee, people that I respect, people that actually played the game, uh, I'll wait until I get in front of them, and I'll let them judge whether I'm a Hall of Famer or not. So he asked to be removed from the ballot in 2022, which would be his last year on the ballot. Well, the Baseball Writers Association of America, who is the body that votes for the players in the Hall of Fame, um, contacted the Hall of Fame yesterday and urged them to keep Schilling on the ballot. Uh, Jack O'Connell, who is the president of the Baseball Writers Association, basically said, look, not basically, this is what he said. He said, Mr. Schilling's request to remove himself from the ballot is a violation of the rules set forth by the National Baseball Hall of Fame's Board of Directors who have commissioned the, the BBWAA to conduct the annual elections. So the bottom line is, is if you are on the Hall of Fame ballot and you get at least 5% of the vote, you remain on the ballot for up to 10 years. Anytime you get below 5% of the vote, you drop off. Well, you know, he was, he's gotten that number Obviously, he's up to 71.1% every year. So as O'Connell finishes, he said, Mr. Schilling has fulfilled both of these requirements and should remain on the ballot uh, by the for the uh, consideration by the voting body for what would be his final year. Good. You know, because... And, and by the way, you know, it's not like if uh, the writers next year decide to put him in with the 75%, just because Schilling said he doesn't want to be on the ballot, what's he going to do? Say, oh, no, no, I don't want to be in your Hall of Fame. Screw you. Now, that to me would be a different thing altogether. If Kurt Schilling said, I don't want to be in your Hall of Fame. Screw you. I don't want to be on the ballot. If, I, if I'm elected, I will not serve. You know, uh, you know, that would be different. You know, because that to me would say, well, not only are you not going to be on the the Hall of Fame ballot, you aren't going to be ever put in front of the Veterans Committee or anything else because you have indicated you don't want to be in the Hall of Fame. That is a completely different matter other than his uh, petulant little uh, thing on Facebook that said, you know, you guys are all just jerks, which is essentially what he said. You know, what he basically said is, you baseball writers never played the game. You don't know anything about anything, and and uh, so go to hell. And by the way, you know, some of these writers may not have played professional baseball. M- most of them didn't play professional baseball. But there are a lot of them that did play baseball. There's a lot of writers that played high school or college baseball. You know, not everybody can get to be in the pros. And there are a lot of writers that can't play baseball. And just, but just love the game. Just because you aren't an elite athlete, it doesn't mean that you don't have the ability to uh, appreciate the game and appreciate greatness. 
or appreciate mediocrity, whatever it happens to be, or be able to tell the good from the bad. Schilling is trying to say in his post that, well, you know, if you didn't play the game, you don't understand the game. It's That's not, you know, that's just him. Uh, that's sour grapes. I guess that's the way to put it. And so, you know, I hope that the Hall of Fame does not honor Schilling's request. Because if they do, they're setting a bad precedent. The rules are the rules. This is the way it's set up. You don't like it? Then tell us you don't want to be in the Hall of Fame, and then we can, we can, we'll be happy to take you off the ballot then, and we'll be happy to make sure you never get considered again. You know, ask Pete Rose if he would like to be on the Hall of Fame ballot. He'd sign up for that in a heartbeat, right? You know, there are guys that never got 5% of the vote or guys who never got on the ballot to begin with. Because, by the way, just because you played in the major leagues and you go for a certain time when you retire, you don't automatically get on the Hall of Fame ballot. You have to have some numbers that that make it somewhat feasible that you could get some votes. That's basically how they work it out. So ask some guys that, you know, that was a, that was a bench player for 12 years that was never a regular player, if he'd like to even be on the Hall of Fame ballot. You know, baseball players will tell you it's an honor to even be nominated. You know, that's kind of like something, you know, you get nominated for an Academy Award and you know, people will say, well, it's an honor to be nominated. Because it is. Because there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that act in movies or TV shows or play baseball or play football or play hockey that never get a sniff of a nomination for a Hall of Fame or any kind of an award. So for Kurt Schilling to try to thumb his nose at the process is a, uh, a, a big F you to all these guys that work their asses off for years and never even get a sniff of the ballot, you know, and never get that kind of consideration. You should be grateful. And Kurt Schilling, in his heart, has to know the only reason he isn't in the Hall of Fame yet. And there are some people that will argue he's not a Hall of Famer. As a matter of fact, if you listen to the show uh, after this one, you're going to hear you know, one of the guys say, not sure he's a Hall of Famer. But 71.1% of the people think he is, and there are more on that that were voting that did. But Kurt Schilling, in his heart, has to know that everything that he has done and all the the – the racist tweets and the uh, you know lynch lynch the press uh, t-shirts and all these other stupid things that he has done since he left baseball has hurt him. Whether it should have or not is another question. You know I'm I'm of a mind where you know all the stuff that Schilling's being accused of, all this stuff happened after he retired. It had nothing to do with his performance on the field. He was nothing but respectful for the game in his entire career. So, you know, I would make the case that, you know, they shouldn't even be considering this stuff that happened after after he retired. That has nothing to do with what he did while he was on the field. He wasn't a racist while he was on the field. He wasn't disrespectful while he was on the field. He respected the game. He loved the game. So, you know, but... The Hall of Fame cannot honor this request. If they do, it's 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 going to be a nightmare. So let's hope. You know, let's hope that they don't. Um, the other thing that's going on in baseball right now is well, we don't know as I mentioned earlier whether spring training is even going to start on time. But right now, we don't even know how many teams are going to make the playoffs 
or whether we're going to have the universal DH. If you remember last year, of course, the National League used a designated hitter for the first time. Pitchers no longer hitting, um, and the, they did it as a concession, um, the Players Association, because of the pandemic and, you know, just thought it would be, you know, a way to make things interesting in that short season to keep the fans interested. Well, now Major League Baseball would like to implement the Universal DH, and the Players Association has said no. Because what's happening is MLB has offered up that Universal DH. They have said, okay, we'll have the Universal DH. But if, but if we're going to give you that, you have to give us this. So Major League Baseball said, look, you can have the DH, and we can uh, work on uh, a couple of guys that have grievances about service time so that they could become a free agent a year earlier. We'll give you that. But in exchange, you have to give us a pitch clock. You have to give us a trial run with electronic strike zones. And you have to give us expanded playoffs. And the Players Association has said no. And let's be clear about this. Major League Baseball might want to do these things, but the players, the, the collective bargaining agreement with the players, they already have an agreement. You know, they baseball can't make any of these changes without approval by the CBA by the Players Association under the collective bargaining agreement, which expires at the end of the 2021 season. So the players have no reason to negotiate. You know, just because MLB wants to keep the expanded playoffs and, you know, they want to have a pitch clock and they want to do all this, they don't have – the Players Association can do exactly what they're doing is saying go pound sand. Now, obviously – with the CBA running out at the end of 2021, these two you know, sides are going to have to figure out some kind of middle ground somewhere or we're going to be looking at a possible strike or a lockout in 2022. The negotiations between the two sides, between Rob Manfred's group and Tony Clark's group, the Players Association, has gotten very contentious. And I am concerned about whether we will have baseball or at least have a full season of baseball in 2022. You know, there is a big disconnect right now between what the league wants and what the players want. But the pitch clock idea, I'm fully in favor of. Electronic strike zones? No, I'm not in favor of that. The expanded playoffs? No, I don't want that either. You know, now the universal DH thing, I've kind of come around on that. I didn't like it to begin with, but pitchers can't hit. I mean, there's one or two that can, but by and large, they can't hit, and it's kind of a joke. And it will allow guys to continue to play uh, for longer. I mean, we've got guys that are free agents right now that aren't getting jobs because the National League doesn't know whether they're going to have a DH or not. So guys like Nelson Cruz, you know, a guy who's 40 years old, really is a liability defensively. Now, he is a great bat, and he's a guy you'd love to have in your lineup, but you don't want to stick him in the field because that's a an error waiting to happen in the outfield. That's, you know, that's the kind of job that can be extended. Look, David Ortiz, Big Poppy with the Red Sox, would not have had the career that he had if he could not have been a designated hitter for the majority of his career. 
David Ortiz was not a great defensive first baseman. So he, you know, would he have still played? Yes, but here's, you know, he 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 would have been lifted late in games for defensive replacements. He would have been more prone to injuries because he's playing in the field. I mean, he just might, he might not have had the same career without the DH. So there are guys that could have their careers extended or enhanced by being able to do that. So I've come around on that. I'm okay with that. So, but the pitch clock idea, I think we got to have it. I got to have it. You know, and it would be you have 20 seconds from the time you get the, the pitches thrown until you throw the next one. 20 seconds. And you said, you know, you would say, well, that sounds like, you know, a long time, which really not. But think about this. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Rewatched a game, 1975 World Series with the Red Sox and the Cincinnati Reds. Do you know the average time between pitches in that game was about 13 seconds? Think think about that. So it was get the ball back from the catcher, get the sign, throw. We didn't have guys prancing around the batter's box, adjusting their equipment, adjusting their cups, spitting in their hands, you know, pitchers walking around the mound and touching 87 things on their cap and – it was catch, sign, throw. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's why games were only taking two hours and 20 minutes. Now games take three hours and five minutes, and most of it is wasted time. So I'm, I'm big time in favor of that. But as of right now, we're not getting any of that because the Players Association and Major League Baseball can't get together. Um and I think right now the thing we got to get together on is whether we're even going to have spring training on time. I hope we do. I really do because I want a 162-game season. But, uh, you know, we could be we could be getting close to the edge where that is not going to happen. It's 46 minutes past the hour. We're going to take another break. When we come back, got a couple of trades to talk about and then uh, some basketball. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call. Uh, So the New York Mets made a trade yesterday with the Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays continue to add pieces uh, to the point where they're going to be legitimate contenders, I think, in the American League East. The Blue Jays yesterday got Steven Matz, left-handed pitcher from the Mets, uh, in return for reliever Sean Reed Foley and a couple of minor leaguers. Now, Matz had a a, a brutal brutal year last year uh, in that shortened season he was 0-5 with an ERA of over nine I mean it, uh, that's like the the season of nightmares but overall Mats has been a solid pitcher uh, in his six seasons with the Mets and uh, obviously Toronto hoping he can regain that form he was a starter for the Mets then they moved him into the bullpen uh, I believe Toronto is probably going to be looking to put him back in the rotation uh, and hope that he can be uh, a member of that rotation along with, like, uh, you know, Robbie Ray and a couple of those young kids that they've uh, acquired and uh, Hinjin Ryu. I think that's what they plan to do. But uh, so a good move, I believe, uh, for the Blue Jays and for the Mets. Uh, Matt's was going to make five million bucks this year. So for a guy that had an ERA of nine last year, you can understand the Mets wanting to move on from him. The Mets have been 
rumored to be in the mix for Trevor Bauer, the most coveted pitching free agent on the board this year. Um, National League Cy Young Award winner. Obviously, everybody would like this guy if you can afford him. But new owner Steve Cohen has shown that he is not afraid to spend money. They already went out and signed James McCann uh, for $10 million bucks a year. Trevor May to a contract for $8 million bucks a year. Um, bringing in Bauer is going to cost you probably twenty-five to $30 million a year. But I think that uh, that is exactly what Cohen's trying to do. Now, the, they also need a center fielder, and Jackie Bradley Jr. is still out there as well. So freeing up the $5 million bucks from Steven Matz probably gives them a little bit more flexibility uh, as far as the payroll goes. So uh, I would not be shocked at all to find Trevor Bauer in a New York Mets uniform coming up this season. Uh, Masahiro Tanaka, longtime pitcher for the New York Yankees, is leaving the United States and going back to Japan. He is going to return to play for the Rakuten Eagles uh, of the Nippon Professional Baseball League. Um, he's 32 years old. He pitched very well in New York, uh, seven seven years and uh, had an ERA of 3.74 in his career, Uh, 78 wins, 46 losses. He pitched well in the postseason. He made 10 postseason starts for the Yankees. But when the Yankees signed Corey Kluber and they traded for Jamison Tyon from the Pittsburgh Pirates, it was pretty obvious that there wasn't going to be room for Masahiro Tanaka. And I think for Tanaka, when he came from Japan, it was the Yankees or nobody. And when it looked like the market had dried up in the Bronx, uh, Tanaka has decided to head back to Japan and finish up his professional career uh, where it started with the uh, Rakuten Eagles. And by the way, when he was pitched for them before coming to the United States, he was 99-35 and 35 with an ERA of 2.29. Uh, so he had a lot of success out there. So... Uh, best of luck to him going back out there. Uh, John Lester finalized his deal with the Washington Nationals yesterday, a one-year, $5 million deal for the left-hander. Um, and he will be a good piece. He'll be the number four or five starter for a Washington Nationals team. Look, John Lester's only seven wins away from 200 in his career. He's 193 and 111. He's got an ERA of 3.6 for his career. This is a guy I think it will be a Hall of Famer. Um, I, I think that his longevity, his success in the postseason, uh, is going to get him a, uh, a hall of fame trip. I could be wrong, but you know, some people might say, well, you know, the, the win numbers are down again. Wins are not that big a, a deal as they used to be. It used to be 300 wins was an automatic. Now I think we're getting closer to, you know, 200 to 225 wins automatically get you in. Uh, one other deal from yesterday, the Yankees, uh, signed, Darren O'Day, right-handed reliever, uh, two-year contract. Well, it's actually it's one year with an option. It's one year for $1.75 million. This came just a couple of days after they traded Adam Onavino and his $9 million salary to the Boston Red Sox. So they dumped him, uh, Onavino, to uh, get a guy for about $7 million less. The Yankees are actually up against the salary cap. They have spent so much money that uh, they are up against the $210 million uh, threshold where they're going to get a luxury tax penalty. So they're trying to uh, uh, figure out ways, creative ways to stay under that. And uh, they did that by trading on Avino, and now they get Darren O'Day. O'Day was very good last year for the Atlanta Braves. He's 38 years old, but he's got that sidearm funky delivery, which is hard for righties to pick up. But he was 
in 19 games for the Braves last year. He was 4-0 with an ERA of 1.10. So a great signing if you're a Yankee fan, which I am not. Uh, NBA yesterday, tough game uh, for the Boston Celtics. Now, I did not watch the whole game. Damn thing was too late. Uh, started at 8.30 Eastern time, and I'm old. So I didn't watch the whole thing, but I did watch part of it. And the Celtics lose last night to the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs pull away in the fourth quarter. The Celtics, with a huge third quarter, took the lead. They scored 37 points uh, in the third quarter. And uh, looked like they might be on their way to winning this one. But the Celtics just couldn't throw it in the ocean. They only shot 43% from the field, and their defense was horrendous. San Antonio shot 56% from the field. Folks, in the NBA, shooting 56% in a game is amazing. That's unheard of. So the Celtics played no defense last night. Brad Stevens, after the game, uh, very distressed about his defense. Uh, He thought they had had things defensively turned around a little bit, uh, but uh, yesterday they kind of regressed. And, you know, the Celtics had everybody back last night. They had their big three, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, all playing, and uh, it was not enough. It was not enough because they didn't shoot well enough. Jalen Brown was 8 for 19. Jason Tatum shot 11 for 25. Son, you know, put it in your pocket if you're shooting that poorly. 11 for 25, 8 for 19. So those two guys combined to score 49 points, but they also combined to shoot about 35% from the field. It killed them. Um, So... San Antonio with a good job last night. Give them a lot of credit. They pick up their 10th win of the season. And the Celtics, you know, they were, you know, thought to be one of the uh, top two or three teams in the Eastern Conference, and I'm starting to get a little bit worried about that. I really am. I think uh, uh, Philly is better than them right now. Philly with a a win over the Lakers last night in the last minute. Uh, Philly's better than them. I think Milwaukee is better than they are. I think the Heat are better than they are. Uh, Celtics right now – Boy, I tell you what, they are uh, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. I, re- I really believe that. It, it, they've got to figure it out. I, they're big guys. They're not getting the production out of the middle. Daniel Tice uh, not rebounding very well. Gets himself in foul trouble continuously. He is an offensive liability. Celtics have some room on the cap. They have that one-time exem- exemption. Uh, they've got about $20 million they can spend. They need to go out, and they need to find themselves a post player, and they need to do it in a hurry. This team is too guard-oriented. Look, I love Jalen Brown. I love Jason Tatum. I love Kemba Walker. They're very talented. Uh, you know, But I am concerned that they are just too guard-heavy. They have got to find themselves a big man. They really do. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Don't forget, Dan Zampano will join us tomorrow at 9.30. Coming up after this, we've got the news. And then uh, the Boys of Summer featuring yours truly, uh, Paul Arnold and uh, Eric Braun. So uh, if you want to hear some more baseball talk, that will be coming up after the news. We leave you this morning with some music from Jimmy Buffett. What A little feel-good music as it's going to be uh, below zero windshields here for the weekend. So, I need that kind of uh, Caribbean feel. So here's a little Jimmy Buffett down at the Lolly, Lottie da. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.